All right, bradcooney.com is absolutely honored to have on board Mr. Jared Espley. He is a planetary scientist with NASA and the MAVEN science team. Jared, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, glad to be here. All right, man, so we talked, I don't know if it's twice or once before. I know we talked right after, recently after the launch of the MAVEN mission. Um, and I don't think we've had you back on since, to be honest. So, I yeah, guess, I think, that, I think that's what it was. Yeah, yeah. It's been, what, November 2013? Is that when it launched? Yep, that's right. Yep. All right. So, basically, um, the mission was to go to Mars and figure out what happened to the Mars atmosphere. So, I guess, just uh, update us. What have we learned so far? Yeah, so, exactly. As your listeners might recall, or maybe they heard it for the first time, we've got this uh, mission called MAVEN at Mars. Uh, it's in orbit around the planet right now. It's been there for about a year and a half. And like you just said, its main purpose is to try to figure out what happened to the Martian atmosphere. And what I mean by that is unlike, say, the rovers, which are on the surface and trying to understand what's going on with the surface of the planet, this orbiter is in, in orbit around the planet, and we're trying to understand what caused the Martian atmosphere to disappear over time. And what, what I mean is that you can look and you can see all these dry riverbeds and all these dry lakes on the surface of the planet. Um, so you know there had to be water back there in the day, but we don't see any liquid water on the surface. So we know something had to have changed, uh, presumably catastrophically changed, with the climate at Mars to cause the atmosphere to go away. And so that's what we're doing. We're doing that with MAVEN. We're looking to try and understand where the atmosphere went, because we think the, the most likely culprit is that it's actually blowing away into space gradually. Mm. Now, has MAVEN confirmed that suspicion about, about the stripping away theory? The stripping away of the atmosphere by solar wind. It has, yeah. So Maven has, in fact, confirmed that the Martian atmosphere is, in fact, being blown away right now, today, bit by bit. Wow. Um, the part that we're still trying to understand is exactly how much atmosphere would have been lost is being lost today, and therefore how much has been lost over billions of years of the of the planet's history. But we do, in fact, with our um, detectors that we have on board the spacecraft, actually able to count the number of uh, Martian atmospheric particles, the bits of the air in the, in, at Mars, flowing away. And wow. so we can count those up and we see that it is, in fact, um, being blown away. So there's not much atmosphere left. There's a little bit. It's, it's just much, much, much thinner than Earth's. So we can actually see that it's even being stripped away even more currently? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so exactly like you just said, the Earth's atmosphere is approximately 100 times thicker than the Martian atmosphere. So there's definitely still an atmosphere there. And that was that's one of the things that makes Mars a neat place is because it's got uh, weather, it's got uh, clouds, it's got all the, you know, the cycles that we have here on Earth. But it's such a thin atmosphere. And so, um, so it is, in fact, being uh, made even thinner. But just really gradually, this process that we're looking at was, is going to take billions of years to continue stripping away the Martian atmosphere. Do you have any idea thus far, um, like, if, for, for example, we know where the atmosphere is at now because Maven's there and we're measuring. Do we have any idea how thick Mars' atmosphere was, you know, a few billion years ago and how long it's taken to get to where it is now due to the solar wind stripping away the atmosphere? Yeah, that's a great question. So you're asking how long mm -hmm. uh, has it taken to get to its current state, right. how thick the atmosphere would have been back in the day. So the, how thick the atmosphere back in the day is um, something that's still a bit of an argument amongst the science community, which is a great place because it means we don't know everything. Right. Um, it had to have been much thicker. We know that. It, it, the most likely scenario is that it was at least as thick 
here. And the reason we think it had to be at least as thick is in order to have the liquid water on the surface that would have caused the dry rivers, the dry lakes, the dry oceans that we see on the surface. In order to have that, you had to have a thick atmosphere in order to have a, a strong greenhouse effect, which is the idea, as your listeners probably remember, that when sunlight comes in, then it gets trapped by the atmosphere and mm -hmm. that heats things up. And so you have to have a thick enough atmosphere to make a strong greenhouse effect to keep it strong at, at Mars. Mm -hmm. So back in the day, it had at least to have been as thick as Earth. We think it took billions of years to get uh, to the state where it is today, where it's super thin. So it's been a very, very slow process. But over billions of years, lots of things can happen. Hmm. Now, the planet Venus is a polar opposite, right? It's so thick that, we, just like what you were saying, the, the, the sun rays get in there and can't get out. And that's why it's so hot there? Is that, is that fair to say? That's absolutely correct. Yeah, Venus is what will sometimes is called a runaway greenhouse effect, where mm -hmm. it just got hotter, so more atmosphere got out there, and then that caused it to get even hotter because it was a stronger greenhouse effect. Therefore, more atmosphere got out, and it was just a runaway cycle until it, it's blazingly hot there. Hmm. Um, is there any any way through either natural process or by human process that we can reverse the atmospheric direction that Mars is going? Yeah, so nature itself probably wouldn't uh, directly provide a, a way to cause the Mars atmosphere to be restored, not, not in any sort of likely scenario. Uh, people do talk about in kind of science fiction-like scenarios where you could terraform mm. a planet, which is the, the word for doing that, for changing a, uh, a whole planet to make it more um, hospitable to, to life. And so, you know, in science fiction scenarios, you can think about having some sort of gigantic industrial scale activity that pumped more gas into the Martian atmosphere to start triggering that greenhouse effect we're talking about. Because once you get it thick enough, then it'll cause things to kind of warm up. Um, but that would have to be on a, a massive planetary industrial scale. And so it's not something that we'd be doing in our lifetime. Mm -hmm. It would have to be hundreds of years of, of planetary scale industry. But it's theoretically possible. Unless you watch Star Trek, and then, then it could happen tonight. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's what I'm saying. That's why it's such a cool idea, because you see it in a lot of these science fiction um, uh, movies right. and books and whatnot, you know? Yeah, man. So um, so this is, I guess, either or, or all the above very scared and exciting when, when Maven had a visitor, a comet, flew by real close, man. What, what was going through your guys' minds when that thing was coming along? We were... Absolutely, totally excited at first. Mm -hmm. I, I, I speak especially for myself because I first heard about it. And I was like, "That is awesome!" Yeah. We're going to get like a front side view of seeing this comet wash over the planet. Yeah. Um, and uh, and then you know reality set in, and especially my spacecraft engineer friends, <laughs> they got a little <laughs> more nervous because <laughs> I'll just remind your your listeners what comets are actually made out of. You've got this central uh, chunk of ice mm -hmm. and dirt that's kind of comparatively small. And then around it um, is this huge cloud of gas and dust that's come billowing off. And then that's what you can see with your eye if, you're, if you've ever looked up and seen sure. a comet in the night sky. So that, that's a cloud of gas and dust that's around the comet. And so that's what flew over the planet. It's not like the, the cometary nucleus, that dirt and rock. It didn't hit anything. It, it flew by. Um, but that cloud of cometary gas and, and dust swept over the planet, which is awesome because we got to see all kinds of crazy things happen in the upper atmosphere. Um, but it also made us a little worried about our poor <laughs> brand-new spacecraft because <laughs> it has gotten there. You know, it's still got the new spacecraft smell on it and uh, yeah. it's being hit by the comet. Um, turned out.
fine. Uh, it didn't get uh, damaged in any way, but people were a little worried about it. Yeah, I bet. Since Maven's a little bit more expensive than a Toyota Corolla or a, yeah. you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, any, any unexpected wow moments, unexpected surprises by the mission? started uh, seeing Aurora, which is the, the northern and southern lights that you can see here at Earth, oh. um, but we started seeing them all over the planet. And of course, this kind of makes sense when you think about it, but I, I, we hadn't really um, thought it through carefully, I guess, um, because at Mars, we don't have a global planetary magnetic field, and so instead of the northern lights being produced in the north, mm -hmm. it's just the light. <laughs> so there's glowing light in the night sky from the solar wind particles kind of all scattered all over the planet. And so that was really neat to see huh. um, with our um, detectors that could see those ultraviolet uh, light coming from, from the glow in the atmosphere. Very interesting. Now, can the rovers, have the rovers uh, spirit an opportunity? Have they, have they taken any photos of that? Can they cap capture that? That would be awesome. I don't think that they have the capability to see those, uh, to see the aurora. The way we saw them with our camera, it was in the ultraviolet. That's, that's the uh, type of light that was, it was being produced. Of course, the aurora here at Earth both produce ultraviolet and visual light, um, but I think, unfortunately, it would just be too dim for the rover cameras to mm -hmm. capture because um, they're designed to work in broad daylight to look at rocks like a foot away. <laughs> right, so they're right. not well, um, you know, uh, calibrated for making faint observations. But I do have to say, imagine if, like, you made a sequel to the Martian movie or something, mm -hmm. and you had the Matt Damon character, you know, like, looking yeah. at you could see the aurora at Mars. That'd be awesome. <laughs> did you did you ha happen to catch the movie, The Martian? Yeah, it was good. It was I thought it was good. great. How about you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I read the book and then I saw the movie. And I, I thought it was it was, it was it was very well done, both from a, just a story wise, and then even uh, it felt very authentic. Um, That's the part I liked about it. I liked the fact that it wasn't like sensationalized out where you know, like in some movies, some you know, a guy in a space suit can can, can like travel through an atmosphere and land on the earth and live yeah but this was very very well done where kind of real it was kind of realistic it was yep absolutely hold on one second i got some kind of a weird thing going on okay so you hear that music i do hear a bit of music yep, yep. yeah that was kind of weird it was one of the website that had like a video on it just just started playing for no reason all right so um i had asked a few of the social uh on network folks to ask questions that they wanted to and i have a an 11 year old this guy this kid is a good kid he's uh his name is james he's actually from india okay and he wanted to know um how i mean i'm reading through these here oh yeah he wants to know um if it's happening on mars the the atmosphere he's talking about the atmosphere being stripped away um can it happen here on earth This next question, her name is Mary. She's from Albany, New York. Uh, she wants to know, is Maven still working and sending back data, and how long will the mission last? Yep. So that's a great question as well, Mary. The uh, mission's been la uh, working for a year and a half. It's working great. All the instruments are returning uh, just tons of data. It's, it's 
frankly, uh, there's no foreseeable uh, reason that it wouldn't last for 10 years or more. Um, it's just a question of continuing to keep the science team uh, working on all that data for that long. You know, um, one of the one of the persons that asked the question was from India, and India just launched a Mars mission recently, didn't they? They did, yeah. So their mission was the Mars Orbiter mission, I think, which they had the catchy acronym of MOM. Mm-hmm. Uh, that got there. It got there just about the same time that Maven did. Um, they were on kind of similar trajectories, and uh, it's, uh, it's as I understand it, it's been a productive mission so far. They've uh, uh, returned some images of the planet, and they're trying to also do some analysis of the type of gas that's in the atmosphere. Um, and so uh, it sounds like things are going very well for them. So I'm excited to have uh, more and more missions there at Mars. All right, another another uh, social uh, network question. Um, Mark from Brooklyn, New York, wants to know, how often do you guys get the information from Maven? Yeah, that's a good question, Mark. Uh, there are uh, two downloads a week, uh, typically. We use a network called the Deep Space Network, so it's just a series of radio receivers scattered around the Earth so that at any given time, one of them will be pointing in the right direction. Uh, and as you imagine, most of the interplanetary missions are competing to use that network, and so um, there's just limited time to get it, so it's twice a week that we get uh, downloads, typically. That's pretty interesting. So, like, when you do get your, I mean, do you know when it's going to come? I mean, you, you pretty much yeah, know. they have it scheduled. I forget what days. I think it's Wednesdays and Saturdays, I think, is when mm-hmm. they do the uh, the download. Hmm. Um, and kind of paint a picture for us with that, how, how that works. So, like, you get to work. It's it's the day of getting the data. So you get into the computers, and how do you how, how do you, how do you just open up files and look at it? Or what kind of information are you looking at? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. People always ask me, what do I actually do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you followed me around, I would look like your stereotypical office worker. Frankly, I would sit <laughs> at my desk, I get my computer, you know, I would um, you know, check my email, and then like you say, the data itself, we pull it up in in, in files that. Um, I mean, the the longer version of it is it gets transmitted as radio waves from Mars, from the spacecraft, gets collected by the radio receivers. That gets encoded into some sort of raw uh, format, uh, computer file format. That actually then gets transferred over computer lines to computers at JPL and then eventually computers at the University of Colorado where they run um, the part of the mission and then eventually I myself download it on my computer. Um, and so I look at the plots of the data, and I try and make sense of what we saw in the past few days worth of data. Very interesting. All right, a few more questions off social networks, if, if you're if you got time. Yep, please. Yep. Uh, okay, um, Kenneth, he's out in Long Beach, California. Um, this is not really particularly towards Maven exactly, but this is the Mars okay. question. Um, and you had mentioned earlier about about water, um, and how it's no longer there. But there was a report that. There is a little bit of, they can see a little bit of surface water once in a while. And that's that's what yeah. this gentleman wants to know. Um, if you can talk more about that discovery where they actually can see some, some liquid water on the surface. Yeah, absolutely. So exactly. Um, when I said that we see all these dry rivers right. and dry lakes, but there's no water there today, he's absolutely right. There is a tiny, uh, minuscule amount of water that is being observed today. Um, it's in these really thin films is what we think, basically um, just uh, a very thin layer of water, and it comes rolling down off the sides of craters and mountains. And so it's basically um, something that's melting hmm. um, in the subsurface, a bit of ice, I guess, and then it comes uh, rolling down and, and wet 
because it does tell us that the, definitely the atmosphere uh, used to be thicker in order to have that water have been there in the first place. Um, but um, but as far as like large quantities of like oceans or even lakes or even creeks or something, um, there's none of that at Mars today. Can Maven tell us if the water left through the atmosphere or if it retreated beneath the surface? Yeah, so that's a great question. So Maven's answering the question of what, whether or not the atmosphere water is escaping to space. That's we're in orbit mm -hmm. and we're literally physically collecting the atmosphere, a bit, tiny bits of it, as it flies away into space. The other half of that equation, like you just said, is maybe some of the water and atmosphere went into the subsurface. Mm -hmm. And so we haven't really fully addressed that question yet. So we'll have to eventually get some missions there that'll be able to see how deep down into the subsurface ice goes. Is there a really thick permafrost there? Or is there a thin layer? Or, or is there even liquid water buried under the surface? Hmm. These are questions we literally just don't know, which is pretty cool. Hmm, very interesting. Now the Phoenix lander, that landed more towards the North Pole, and that found some ice underneath the sand, right? That's exactly right. So that's exactly the type of thing that I'm saying is like with Phoenix, we kind of got to start at that. We know that yeah. there's a little bit of sand, a little bit of ice underneath that, like you said. But um, is that distributed across the whole planet? How much of mm. it is there? How deep does it go? Nobody knows, which is cool. Yeah, definitely. All right, Linda from San Antonio, Texas. She wants to know, um, when do you think that we'll put man on Mars? Linda, that's a great question. People have been asking it ever since uh, we knew about the possibility of going to Mars. Um, the, the answer is that uh, there is a program within NASA to have a journey to Mars, as it's called. Uh, the time frame for that is in the next, uh, by the 2030s, to be looking mm -hmm. to actually have a human on Mars. Um, whether that you know actually comes to, to play is, is is way above my pay grade, but that that's yeah. what the plan is, and uh, people it's definitely technically uh, possible. You know, we can send rovers there, and so there's no reason we can't send humans. Now, I'm certainly no expert on Mars like you are, that's for sure. But I'm guessing one of the real, uh, other than the, the 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 money thing, because of course NASA would love to have a nice big fat budget every year from the government. Um, or from whoever, um, but wouldn't it be really tricky to actually land a human because of the atmosphere being so thin? You have to slow a craft down, and everything's got to work. Um, you know, we, we can bounce a rover in, in, in the you know the, the, that one yeah, the airbags, the airbags, and then use a sky crane. But landing humans is a little trickier, no? It is. It is uh, trickier. Uh, the sky crane that Curiosity, the largest rover that's mm -hmm. there, uh, used. So this is the most recent landing um, was a uh, soft landing, a comparatively soft landing. Um, so that type of technology could be usable to land a human-sized uh, habitat. Um, it would obviously just have to get scaled up. The airbags that they used on the previous rovers obviously is not what you would want to <laughs> land a human with. So you would have to use uh, something like, because uh, I don't know if any of you or your listeners have seen uh, the videos of the airbags. Yeah, they'd be a little bit dizzy when it came to a yeah, stop. Yeah, it, uh, it was bouncing pretty good. Yeah. So the, the sky crane type technology would be the way that you'd have to land the human explorers. Yeah. Um, life on the planet, past and present. Um, what are the odds? What are the odds microbes or anything alive was on Mars, past and present? Yeah, that's a great question. So uh, the, the short answer is nobody knows. <laughs> so that, mm -hmm. that's the real answer. And now I'll speculate. Um, the, it certainly seems 
very, very likely that there was lots of liquid water on the surface of Mars. Mm-hmm. We know that from, like I said, with the dry rivers and the dry land. Sure. Keep saying, okay, everywhere there's liquid water at on Earth, there is life everywhere. Like mm-hmm. you know, life is just anywhere there's water, there's tons of life. So the question is, uh, what what does it take to have to have life uh, develop someplace? Um, and so we don't know that. Uh, but if you if I had to bet, I would say I bet there was life on Mars mm-hmm. millions of years ago when there was liquid water. And whether there is still existing life there today, I don't know. Um, it's possible that it could be in the subsurface. Certainly nothing on the surface that we can see easily. Um, there's no trees. There's no animals, obviously, on the surface. But it's very believable to me that there could be a life uh, in the subsurface at Mars. Hmm, yeah. I think it's possible back, you know, like billions of years ago, like what you were saying, when it was a lot a lot warmer there yeah. also. Um, what about the 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 findings? Yeah, this is more rover-orientated questions, I guess. That's but um, like like the, the, the dirt that's being dug up and they're drilling into rocks, are they finding similar... Um, materials that are here on Earth also? Like, is the dirt up there the same as the dirt in places on Earth? It is, absolutely. And that's why they're able to draw conclusions about it. So the types of uh, minerals that form to make up the soil and dirt there, the, those minerals oftentimes are the types of minerals that we know here at Earth only form when there's liquid water around. So basically, imagine mud that then that, that, Condenses. I'm not a rock guy either, so right. I'm kind of making up the terminology. But you imagine that that mud becomes a sandstone or whatnot, and so these types of minerals only form in the presence of liquid water. And so that's why, again, at Mars, it's just it's really neat because we can see this change of how the climate must have changed to to leave these uh, minerals behind. All right, I'll take one more question that I got from social networks. His name is Bill from Fort Lauderdale, and he wants to know if we have any current plans to put more rovers if so when's the next rover landing scheduled for um us america yeah so there there uh, i'll answer a question you didn't ask at first which is there is in fact a european uh, uh yeah. mission to mars that's on its way right now and then there will be another uh european rover in 2018 i think that we launched and then the u.s has plans to send another rover in 2020 um, so it's just every two years is when the planets kind of line up to be able to get a, a spacecraft uh, efficiently to Mars. So there's the European one that's an orbiter on its way literally right now, another one planned in 2018, which is a, a European rover, and then in 2020, the U.S. will have another rover that will be landing. So it's in development right now. It's being built at JPL, which is pretty nice. Neat. Now, what about the European lander, and then I'll ask you about the 2020 lander for America. Do we have any idea about what kind of landing process it will have? I don't know the answer to that, to be perfectly honest, hmm. uh, about uh, the European one. I suspect it's a sky crane, but I'm just guessing. Um, the U.S. one I know definitely is using almost all the same type of uh, technology that the previous Curiosity sure. rover did. So it'll definitely, the 2020 U.S. rover will use a sky crane to land. Do you know what the mission plan is of this one? Uh, the American, the American rover that's going to be landing. Yeah, so it has a number of scientists instruments on board. It's also designed to try and collect uh, uh, a number of science instruments on board to, to look at rocks in in, uh, in person uh, mm-hmm. or in, in place right in front of it. But it also has capability to collect.
like really interesting samples. So, you know, they find a really weird rock, or they see something that's in a in a, uh, a what is clearly a dry lake or something, and they can get a bit of it out, drill it out. They can collect this stuff, and then this rover is designed to actually cache it. In other words, put it into a little depository someplace, and then theoretically another rover later could come by and pick it up and blast off and take it home to Earth, or mm. maybe even the human explorers. So it's kind of a preamble to having a sample, sample return. return. Yeah. Yeah. Any risk to a sample return? You know, of course, the movies can make a really cool movie that will wipe out every Earthling on Earth. Yeah, yeah, you know? right. <laughs> I mean, not, not in any significant way, no. Uh, I mean, so, again, we're all, um, the surface of, of the planet is uh, scoured in UV, so there shouldn't, there, there, there is no living thing that, that would be lasting on the surface. And right. I'm sure there would be all sorts of contamination protocols, nonetheless, um, when the samples were returned. What do we do on our end when we send an, air, uh, an aircraft, a spacecraft, to Mars? What do we do to prevent contaminating the Mars uh, soil and, and, and mm -hmm. atmosphere from Earth germs and things like that? Absolutely. Yeah, it's a great question because you'd hate to go there and be like, hey, we're looking for life. Did we find some microbes? Awesome. Look, we found microbes. And, you know, there are. Something from <laughs> yeah, us, right? Right. Um, so what, what the, there actually is a whole uh, group that, that's in charge of this. They have the, the really awesome title of Planetary Protection. Mm -hmm. uh, so they're actually in charge of protecting the other planets as opposed to us, ah. which is a weird title. So the, what, uh, to answer your question, what they do is they take uh, all the parts on the spacecraft that are unlikely to burn up if it's an orbiter or on a rover, everything obviously, they take all the parts that are exposed on the outside and they very carefully wipe it down. <laughs> so it's, wow. it's like a really fancy version of taking your uh, you know, baby wipes and right. cleaning everything off is what they do. Very cool. Wouldn't it be great just to have the opportunity to land a rover like right next to Olympus Mons, so we can just just for the photography aspect of it. Uh, absolutely, there's so <laughs> many beautiful uh, things at Mars. Olympus Mons being that huge volcano yes. on the surface, and then there's Valles Marineris, which is this enormous uh, canyon. In fact, frankly, I think Valles Marineris is so big it would be difficult to take in. Like you'd, wow. you'd barely be able to see the other side, probably. Wow. Unbelievable. Well, look, this is a lot of fun, man. Um, it was yeah. worth the wait. Really appreciate you coming on board. Um, I guess just close the interview with some closing thoughts. Tell the folks out there why it's important to have Mars missions, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the main reason that um, we explore is because we want to understand how planets work. Um, and, and, and it's also part of our... Um, what we as humans do is explore. So as scientists, we want to try and take that and understand why and how planets come together as, as systems. So, you know, we got to understand how the surface works and how the atmosphere works. And so as scientists, we're excited about, about trying to unravel how the planets work. But then even bigger picture, it's just about the unknown. It's about being out in space. Um, it's, it's frankly, it's, it's almost to a point where you have to almost just use the, um, almost poetry to talk about it mm -hmm. because it's, it's no longer about science at that point it's about something inside of humans that makes us want to explore great stuff man well, I, I really appreciate you joining us man look forward to having you back on uh, soon maybe not two years later maybe a little bit sooner no no sounds great <laughs> happy to talk